even though the U.S. national debt, it seems like it's going crazy. There are a couple of things why I believe that the U.S. federal government will never default. And number one is because it has the Federal Reserve backing it up. And the Federal Reserve can just print money. This is one of the reasons why state governments and other bonds can go belly up and default. But the federal government never will. Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so this episode, I wanted to talk about interest rates again because we're starting to see a breakout in interest rates from very long-term trends. Interest rates have been dropping for the last 40 years, really, since the early 80s when rates really spiked up high and you had U.S. Treasuries going at 18%. They've been essentially dropping for the last 40 years, and we've gotten down to below 3%, you know, down to 2%. And they're starting to rise back up now and really breaking a major trend line. So this could bode big implications for the future. So I wanted to talk again about interest rates and bonds and some of the ideas there. I've got Murray back on the program. We're going to talk bond theory. So welcome back to the show, Murray. Thanks. Glad to be here. All right. Take it away. Okay. Um I'd kind of just like to cover what interest rates are doing right now, as well as how bond prices behave and just put bonds into the overall portfolio picture with a little bit of portfolio theory. But one of the things, probably the most important thing about bonds is that it has to do with compound interest. Compound interest is one of the most powerful things in the universe, at least according to Einstein. That's what he said. And for those of you who don't know what compound interest is, that just basically means interest upon interest upon interest. So, for instance, if you're making 10% off of your investments and then you make that 10%, add that to your principal, and you earn 10% in addition to that, that adds up a little bit at a time, and then eventually your returns become exponential. I think a great example of that, to put it in perspective where people can understand that, is the population of the world. You know, if you hear about your grandparents saying, when I was a kid, the population was only two and a half billion or whatever mm-hmm. it was back then. And it's only been growing at two, three percent a year. And yet in our lifetimes, it's that two percent, three percent compounded continually that has exponentially increased to where we are now at like seven and a half billion people. And that's exactly that compound effect coming into play. Yeah, that's exactly right. The interesting thing about compound interest is that it doesn't just apply to bonds. It can apply to investments as a whole, like, for instance, stocks. That can also compound exponentially as well. And so it's not just a rate of interest that you earn on bonds, but compound interest that you could earn in a business. You can earn on bonds. You can earn off anything. Anyway, I kind of wanted to also kind of cover the the different types of bonds and how they, how they differ. Number one, like you have treasury bonds, as I covered before, but also you have 
municipal bonds, which are issued by state entities as well as corporate bonds. And the thing is that corporate bonds also follow the interest rate paradigm, meaning that when interest rates go down, bond prices go up and vice versa. But the problem with corporate bonds is that they are tied to underlying business business conditions. Like, for instance, during the financial crisis of 0809, corporate bonds took a 9% hit downward, even though interest rates went down. Historically, during the Great Depression, when stock prices lost 90% of its value, corporate bonds took a 50% hit back then. So corporate bonds are definitely a good asset class, but you got to keep that in mind as well. When interest rates go down, your corporate bonds could also take a hit, though not as significant as you would owning stocks. And back in 2008, you actually saw a spread in interest rates between treasuries, municipals, and then corporate bonds, and even within corporate bonds, like investment grade and high yield. Mm -hmm. You saw the spreads widen. And what that shows is that investors were placing a premium on lower default risk. Right. Because the prospect of more potential borrowers going bankrupt or not being able to pay the loans was higher. Mm-hmm. And you saw that in high yield bonds of, of corporations that were uh, not in good financial situations, that people really penalized those borrowers in, in their bond prices. Right. And sought safety in treasuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even even your AAA rated corporate bonds had a, a pretty sizable spread there. It's just because during a financial crisis, when there's a liquidity crunch, it's just hard to find buyers to, to buy bonds or anything, as opposed to normal good business conditions. But definitely, you know, you want to look at your default risk, probably number one, as well as the the health of the overall economy and inflation, things like that. The best bonds to buy are probably U.S. Treasury bonds. Even though the U.S. national debt, it seems like it's going crazy. There are a couple of things why I believe that the U.S. federal government will never default. And number one is because it has the Federal Reserve backing it up. And the Federal Reserve can just print money. This is one of the reasons why state governments and other bonds can go belly up and default. But the federal government never will because the federal government has that central bank that can continuously print as much money as it needs. The only consequence really is long-term inflation. I mean, the more that a government runs up its national debt and prints up more money, the purchasing power of that underlying currency in the U.S., the dollar, is just going to erode over time. Yeah, one of the biggest concerns you have as a bond investor is default risk. So you Mm -hmm. want to make sure that the person you're loaning money to is not going to default and not be able to pay back the original money that you gave them. So that would be a huge loss to you if you not only lost 5% on your investment, but you lost the entire principle of what you loaned. Mm -hmm. So in the case of the U.S. government, with the central bank having control of the Federal Reserve, you essentially eliminate that default risk. But then that brings on the next question when you're an owner of bonds, since most of the time you're talking about fixed coupons, you are then subject to inflation risk. So Mm -hmm. how do you think about that when it comes into play of inflation on your fixed coupons on the bond? Well, 
inflation risk is definitely a concern, and inflation has been growing, or at least according to policymakers in the United States, they've wanted to have a targeted inflation of about 3% per year. The thing is, is that if you own any kind of fixed income interest-bearing bond, whether it's a corporate bond or even a bond from just an individual or a state government corporation, anything like that, they are going to have that inflation risk as well. The greater the inflation, the easier it gets on the issuers of bond debt because they can pay off their bonds in money that's less valuable. But still at the same time, state governments and corporate bonds, corporate entities still have a default risk and something that that the U.S. federal government doesn't have with treasury bonds, with the Fed backing it up. And this is just something that any, any finance major going to business school knows about the inverse relationship between bond prices and interest rates, as well as the possible price fluctuations with the different maturity bonds as far as shorter maturity versus longer maturity. But basically, when interest rates increase, the value of your bonds go down. And likewise, if interest rates decrease, then the prices of your bonds increase. For a lot of people, that, that's kind of hard to wrap their minds around at first. When it interest rates backwards. go up, it, it does seem backwards. But when you understand the reason why, it makes perfect sense. Because like, for instance, let's say that you buy a bond, let's say a 10-year treasury bond that is earning 10% interest. Let's just keep it simple. Well, then let's just say in a couple of years from that point, interest rates went up 8% to 18%, but you're still holding a bond that is a coupon level of 10%. But now you can all of a sudden go out in the market and earn interest rates of 18%. And so your bonds will be less valuable because it's paying the lower coupon as opposed to a current bond that's paying 18%. Yeah, the way I think of it is since the amount that you loan, let's say you loan $100, and then at the end of, let's say you're loaning it for one year, so you loan $100 for one year, you expect to get the 100 back in one year, and you also expect to get $10 in interest. So that would be a 10% yield. But let's say the price of the bond in the interim drops to 50 and then someone else bought it from you. Now, them buying it for 50 from you and then getting 100 back plus another 10 in the interest would make the yield higher. So even though the price went down, the yield went up. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And there are a lot of things that can affect the price of your bonds as well. As far as the maturity goes, in addition to interest rates and bond prices being inverted, the longer maturity your bonds are, the bigger the price swings are going to be. Like, for instance, if, say, you've got bonds maturing in 10 years, earning 10% interest, and then they jack up to 18%, well, if you bought a 30-year treasury bond, your loss will be even greater than your than your 10-year maturity bond. And the reason why is because the price fluctuations will not be that great when that bond matures and you get the entire face value, the entire par value of the bond back paid back to you. And I don't recommend this, but if you're wanting to time the markets and you think that interest rates are going to fall suddenly, then you definitely want to buy some 30-year treasury bonds to, to maximize your capital gain. Likewise, if you think interest rates are going to go up, you want to buy the shorter-term bonds. But as I'll get to later in the program, it's really 
almost impossible to predict interest rates in just the way it's almost impossible to predict future stock prices or, or like the roll of the dice or anything like that. Well, just to uh, play the devil's advocate here. Sure, let's hear it. Interest rates are directly related to Federal Reserve policy. Mm -hmm. For example, where we are now in the current cycle of things, the Federal Reserve is telegraphing what they will do in the future. They want the market to have confidence in what they say mm -hmm. so as to affect and manipulate the market. So they are telegraphing that we plan to be raising rates, short-term rates, over time. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, in like a, a few-year time horizon, we should know what to expect in mm -hmm. the sense that they intend to raise short-term rates if they can, mm -hmm. if they feel that they can based on the economy. So in that sense, we, we kind of do know where they will go in the short term. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that in general, people can possibly predict prices when it comes to, as of this date, I mean, the stock market is just breaking your highs and just going gangbusters. And so if you ask yourself, well, are stock prices high or are they low right now? Is the economy good or is it bad? And historically, the absolute best time to buy stocks is when no one else wants them, when they're in the toilet, like, for instance, in the year 2009, or historically, probably the best year to buy stocks was the year 1932, which is when the stock market bottomed out after the stock market went on its massive tear. And with interest rates, you can kind of ask yourself, well, is are interest rates high or are they low right now? In the year 1980, 1981, they're at absolute historical highs. And probably starting in 2009 and 2010, and even right now, even though they've kind of edged up a little bit, interest rates have been kind of historically low. And so if you want to invest in bonds and you know, you're know you probably thinking, well, it's possible that interest rates could be going up just because of the economy is heating up. Even though I may not think investing in stocks is a good idea, I could definitely put my money and I want to save it. I want to make something off. I could put it in two to five year treasury bonds. So if interest rates do spike up, I'm not going to get hammered. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, it's very simplistic. When it comes to investing, people seem to want to be awed by some very complex system, when in reality, it's probably keeping it simple that's the best thing. I agree. And yeah. if you're going to talk about timing the market, then a simple approach to looking at the valuation of things relative to historical norms is not all that complicated but mm -hmm. seems to be pretty salient over time in terms of 10-year, 20-year performance relative to market multiples and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty strong relationship when you look at that. Mm -hmm. So either a PE multiple on the market or interest rates where they're at relative to historical norms. We have seen over the last 100 years or so pretty strong relationship there. Right. Also, I kind of wanted to, to get into how that owning bonds can really fit into your overall portfolio and the long-term growth of your portfolio, which is where I think the real strength of owning bonds are. You want to have a balanced portfolio. You want to invest in different asset classes. You want to have interest-bearing instruments like bonds as well as risk assets like stocks. And historically, stock prices and interest rates have behaved independently of one another. In most cases, I would say 80%, they kind of act inversely. 
And the reason why is because you look at the historically the business cycle, when the economy is really, really bad, like, like what happened in 2009, 2008, interest rates bottom out. And then as the economy heats up and it gets better and better and the, the demand for loans increases, then interest rates go up to compensate for that demand. And so your stock prices are going up and your interest rates are going up and then your bond prices are going down. But just because your bonds are taking a hit when interest rates go up doesn't mean you should dump them because no one really knows what's going to happen in the grand scheme of things. I think what you're getting to there is not necessarily specific to bonds, but about the principle of reducing the volatility in your performance of your portfolio. And just because of simple math, if you lose 50%, it takes 100% to get back to even. That's so right. yep. if you're reducing those drawdowns in your investments, it is beneficial to you, the returns of your investments over time. Because the, the real hits are when you're taking a 75% loss on your portfolio, it takes a lot of gain to get back to even versus if your returns aren't as strong, but you're only losing 10% drawdowns on your portfolio, it's a lot easier to make progress and, and keep growing. That's exactly right. If you take a 50% loss in your portfolio, you're going to have to make a 100% rate of return to break even again. And, you know, making 100% gains is not child's play. It's, 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 it's difficult historically. Just to show how it's exponential, if you lose 75% on your portfolio, so you go from 100 down to 25, you have to go up four times to get back to 100, right? So it just magnifies. The more you draw down, the harder it is to get back to even. That's exactly right. And mathematically, that's, that's why investors who only buy stocks on margin are really long-term going to get, get murdered because if you take a 50% loss in your stock portfolio at two to one margin, that's basically a 100% loss, which is impossible to recover from unless you build your assets back up again, you know, through, through savings and labor. But yeah, that's why I don't recommend at all using margin in your investment portfolio unless, you know, there's something, you get some kind of sure thing scenario that comes along. But the only time I've seen that using margin works is when you have definite information about a short-term price movement. Something else that I want to cover is as far as, and not just because of that bonds are good when it comes to earning a rate of return on interest, but as far as the portfolio diversification, as I mentioned earlier, the, the best time to buy stocks is when no one else wants them, is when we're in a financial crisis, like what we saw at the bottom in 09 in 1932. Most individual investors they get themselves in difficulty, especially if they're working at a job and they have a car note, a house payment, three or four kids, especially if they're investing in stocks and they're trading stocks on margin. And that's just a disaster waiting to happen. But if you got a guy who owns stocks and a sizable bond portfolio, if his stock investment takes a tumble, then he's got his bond portfolio to fall back on. And then he can actually rebalance his portfolio and buy stocks when no one else wants them. He could go bottom fishing, so to speak. He can buy like really high quality companies that no one else wants, even though they have no debt, they've got great business plans, but just because of the current business environment, no one else wants them. So 
That is a huge plus. That is a fantastically good reason to own bonds is so you can have that liquidity to take advantage of good stock prices when they become available during difficult business conditions. Yeah, Warren Buffett will talk about that, how just always having a reserve right. is yeah. a useful tool in your belt. Because mm -hmm. like you say, you're always ready to pounce on the opportunities when they're right. available. Because mm -hmm. if you say, for example, you're 100% all in on only one asset class or something like that, then if that asset class is not doing well, and it would be a good time to be buying, but all your money is tied up in that, then you don't have the spare reserves to go further in. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of investors just think that they should keep cash reserves, but treasury bonds are better for that because they pay a rate of interest that's, that's higher than cash balances. And also the bond prices will fluctuate along with changes in interest rates. So you have that diversification, the, the, the fluctuations of bond prices in addition to the fluctuations of your stock prices. And a lot of times they are very inverse of one another. And so that's a, a wonderful reason to own treasury bonds, even though a lot of people are down on them just because interest rates are so low right now. But it's important because they're, they're highly liquid. You can sell treasury bonds pretty much anywhere in the world. So, but yeah, we're talking about trying to time the market and how it's impossible. I'm just going to say that it really is virtually impossible for to try to predict interest rates, except in the extreme example of generalities when people look at, well, interest rates are extremely high or extremely low right now. And if people who try to speculate to try to make capital gains and in interest rates is just folly, especially if you're buy a bond portfolio on margin, the way, is, the way if you try to predict stock prices and buy stocks on margin there too. But it's really impossible to time the markets. It's sort of like trying to predict the roll of the dice. But I mean, when I was younger, around my mid-20s, I was under the delusions that I could predict the markets, even though no one else could before me. And I was under the illusion that, that I could, and I paid the price because of that. And so I've, I've just relegated my investment strategy on things that will pay off long-term over time, things that you are guaranteed to win if you do it right, no matter what happens with the market. So I keep going back to the diversification between stocks and bonds and other asset classes. And if you keep your portfolio balanced during situations like that, when there's an extreme market event, that you're going to be positioned to do well no matter what happens. I saw an article, I think yesterday, that was talking about there's a benchmark, uh, basically, that they were using as a proxy for the performance of active versus passive management, and that only 5% of the active management was outperforming the passive. So if you were fortunate enough to be in the 5%, you could squeak by the performance of the passive management, but otherwise, the people who are putting no effort into it were outperforming the, <laughs> the others, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it makes you wonder, and that, that goes back to the whole argument of modern portfolio theory as far as it's better just to buy a stock index fund as opposed to an active management fund that charges a higher a higher management fee to manage your assets. But I, I kind of want to also touch on bonds versus individual bonds versus bond funds. A lot of investors, they think, well, it's just easier to buy a treasury bond fund. 
So I'm just going to buy my, my fund and then I won't even mess around with individual bonds. That's a mistake. I believe that with spreads the way they are, as far as treasury bond spreads, it, it does make sense to have a bond portfolio composed of separate bonds because num- number one, you're, you'd be paying a management fee to the bond fund company when pretty much all they're doing is just passive investing, which you can pretty much do yourself. And so if you just get a laddered portfolio, treasury bonds are highly liquid. You can sell it and then get cash for it within three settlement days. So I, I just believe that treasury bond funds are a poor investment. You should just buy the treasury bonds outright. Depending on how the fund is structured, there could be huge risks, like huge risks with bond funds in the sense that if they're bundled into an ETN, so mm-hmm. an exchange traded note, then the issuer of the bond fund is synthetically creating the the bond fund. Mm-hmm. So in the portfolio of the bond fund, it may not own exactly those particular like treasuries or corporate bonds or whatever, so that if the issuer has financial problems, they could default on the fund and then you could lose your entire investment potentially, which would be a huge loss where theoretically you think you're investing in treasuries that have no default risk. Right, right. But if you're in a fund that synthetically created, so an exchange traded note bond fund, mm-hmm. then even if it has treasuries, you're still open to the risk of losing everything in that Mm -hmm. particular investment. Kind of going back to just how bonds played an overall portfolio, I think is the real strength of investing in bonds. You know, a portion of your assets in treasury bonds, you'll be protected. And not just because of an economic downturn, just, just because of any kind of liquidity concerns you may have. And just the way that, as I mentioned earlier about how you can take advantage of investment opportunities in stocks or other assets, possibly even real estate, if you find like a really good deal on something and no one else is buying it because business conditions have just deteriorated. And so just the way that bonds fit in your overall portfolio is really is really the strength of them. Yeah. So just a summary thought, there is definitely a place for bonds and you mm-hmm. can Kind of think of them as cash in your portfolio, but like a, a superior version of cash right. if you're thinking of, of U.S. treasuries. So the, there's a diversification benefit, you know, reducing the volatility of your portfolio, mm-hmm. which mathematically is going to provide an improvement to your portfolio performance over the long run mm-hmm. and give you opportunities, kind of like bullets in your chamber to uh, fire when the opportunity strikes. Thanks again for uh, coming back on the show, Murray. Thanks. Glad, glad to be here. Enjoyed it. All right. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. Mm-hmm.